Hey guys, there I read it, just finished Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, so I'm gonna do another book versus movie for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Welcome back, family members. I'm still McGann, and this is still the fangirl, but if you have not been keeping up with my other series on the family, There I Read It, I have been reading the Harry Potter books for the first time in my life, and I'm going over some chapter-by-chapter -chapter discussions over at youtube.com slash thefanily. It's also on a podcast called There I Read It, if you prefer to listen that way. But anyways, after I finished book one, I decided my big finale bit was going to be to do a book versus movie. And like all of my book versus movies, I'm not going to go over every little minute detail because then this would be a 20 hour long video. So my goal is to hit some points that I saw differently or I found interesting and then to encourage you to of course watch and read on your own. So I'm going to be reading my notes. Feel free to jump on into the comments and add anything that you think I missed. But please, no spoilers for book three or beyond. Okay, Okay, so in the movie, when they show Privet Drive this time, they kind of pan out a lot more, and it really feels like this strange cult-like subdivision. In the first movie, it seemed like Privet Drive was just filled with these little houses all the same, like these very modest houses. But seeing how this subdivision goes on and on and on and everything's exactly the same, I think that's a very good mise-en-scene for how the Dursleys are. Like they are not the nail that sticks up to be hammered down. They are very much status quo, blend in with everybody else, be perfectly normal, and it's very nicely expressed in this shot. And in the movie, they claim that Hedwig is locked up because magic is not allowed outside of school, which doesn't even make sense because Hedwig is an owl. She's not magic. I guess maybe she could have some magical properties bred into her, but for all intents and purposes, she's just a normal old owl. But in the book, the issue was that Vernon didn't want Harry sneaking mail off and he didn't want that owl to be loose, so he made her be locked up 24-7 just for the entire summer. That poor bird was tortured. And in the book, Harry first notices these two giant green eyes in the bushes and that ends up being Dobby. But in the movie, Harry just finds Dobby jumping on his bed very whimsically for no reason. Dobby is such a stern, serious character. It's kind of strange to just find him, wee, I'm having fun jumping on a bed. You know, book Dobby is really crushed down by the weight of his slavery. And so that sort of fanciful moment doesn't track for his character. And the movie really gives no direct explanation explanation for why Dobby hurts himself. I mean, I guess you could pull it out if you're paying super close attention or you've read the book, but I know I was probably 17 when this movie came out and I never got why he hurt himself all the time. But the reasoning is, or at least to my understanding from the book, is that Dobby, knowing that he's a slave, can't speak ill of his family or he's not supposed to step a toe out of line, so whenever he does, he punishes himself. And then the movie has Dobby drop pudding on the female visitor of the Dursleys and there is no warning with an owl from the Ministry of Magic. And that's kind of an important thing to cut out because for one, 
in the book, the pudding was dropped in the kitchen and then everybody comes in there and Vernon's like, oh, that's just our disturbed nephew. We keep him locked away because visitors upset him. And I was like, that's a pretty clever cover actually. But here they dump the pudding right on top of the businessman's wife. I've totally lost track of her name. And then we have no owl from the Ministry of Magic saying, hey, this is an official warning. You can't use magic outside of school, which is actually what sets Vernon off because he realizes that Harry's been lying to them and tormenting them all summer when he knew he couldn't use magic. So that is what causes Vernon to put the bars on the window and seal Harry in his room. But in the movie, there is so much less buildup that it just makes Vernon seem like a monster that flipped out out of nowhere. Well, I guess the pudding dropping isn't out of nowhere, but still, it's it's quite a strong reaction for dumping pudding on someone. And in the movie, Ron, Fred, and George show up in the flying car to get Harry and they rip the bars off the window and get him, but they never enter the house like they do in the book. In the book, they have to come into the house, pick locks, pick the under the cupboard lock to get all of Harry's magical supplies, and then shove that all back in the car without Vernon waking up. And Vernon only ends up waking up because Harry almost forgets Hedwig. And so Hedwig starts freaking out and the sound of her like screeching woke up Vernon. In the movie, it's the ripping off of the window bars that wakes up Vernon. And it doesn't not work. It does keep the flow moving a little stronger. But again, it's another change that kind of removes a lot of the Dursley perspective where, you know, their house is literally being invaded by wizards. So of course you're not going to take uh, extremely kindly to that sort of thing. Then we have a huge chunk of stuff cut out of the burrows, which is where the Weasleys live, and we don't really see much of their house at all. And when Harry ends up in Nocturne Alley, there are no Malfoys in the bookstore there, and so we don't get any of that exposition with how Lucius treats Malfoy, or how Lucius has all of this sort of bad, bad no-no stuff hidden in his house. And again, for the story overall, it's not a huge important detail to lose, but it does take away from sort of character development. And then in the book, the Weasleys are going all over Diagon Alley trying to find where Harry ended up disappearing to, but in the movie, they're just in the bookstore like, who cares if we find him? Maybe he'll find us. Just really weird that they took responsibility of this minor child and then gave no cares about where he disappeared to. Then while in the bookstore in the movie, we see Malfoy very specifically rip the page out of a book and we, we don't really get the direct payoff for that. There's some theories that it's the note that Hermione's clutching to later, but again, you would think that something direct would be said and it's a very weird moment to add that is not in the book at all. And movie Harry does not give Jenny his Lockhart books, but even more disappointing, Arthur Weasley does not fight Lucius Malfoy in the movie and that was a great moment and a really good way to sneak the diary into Jenny's cauldron. You know, when there's a huge scuffle, there's a lot less attention being paid to smaller actions being done. And overall, the movie makes the flight to Hogwarts a lot more dramatic than the book did. In the book, they were actually talking about how tedious and boring the flight was. You know, the car was too hot. It was such a long way to go. They had nothing to drink. But then in the movie, of course, you know, we have the car going all over the place. La la la. What a fun time. And then Harry almost falling out of the door, which has caused me so much mental anguish in my life. You don't even know. Like every time I get in a car, I have to slam all the locks shut in case one of them flies open. That scene broke me. But then the boys get to Hogwarts and in the book, Snape is the one to actually catch them not in the Great Hall where they should be, whereas it's Filch in the movie. And then Filch takes them 
to Snape's office, which is kind of a weird choice to make since the boys are Gryffindor, so they should go to McGarnagle's office. And then when they do the Mandrake repotting in the movie, there are no teams. It's everybody has their own Mandrake, so nobody's working together like they are in the book, and we don't really get to meet uh, Justin face to face. And I think that hurts the story later because a big part of Justin being petrified is that everybody thinks it's Harry because he and Justin have not really minced words, but it gave Harry the opportunity to know that Justin is not a pure blood wizard and, you know, they have a little bit of a tiff. And so there's more of a build up as to why Harry's afraid people are going to blame him for Justin. And I think really the most disappointing change in this movie is that Lockhart has got his ego so toned down. He doesn't do any tests about how great he is and all the great achievements he's done. He has way less ego and his first class goes straight to releasing the Cornish Pixies, whereas there was, again, a lot more of a buildup in the book. And movie Lockhart just runs out of the room when the Pixies are loose and abandons the entire class, whereas in the book, he forces Ron, Harry, and Hermione to be locked in the room and deal with the Pixies. And movie Hermione already knows what mudblood means. And in the book, it's Ron who explains it, and he's really upset over that word. And I, I think the way that they did it in the movie with Hermione already knowing, it really steals that moment from Ron to show that he does care about muggle people just as much as his dad. And it also gives us a reason to suspect that Ron has kind of a thing for Hermione. The movie also totally skips Ron's detention in the trophy room. Harry does serve his detention with Lockhart, but then Ron's with Hermione after that's over and Ron never seems to get any detention in the film. And while the trio is walking the halls in the movie. First they see spiders leaving Hogwarts, then they see a big puddle of water, and then they see the wall with the writing and Mrs. Norris hanging from it. The spiders in the book was something that they started seeing much, much later on. And the movie also cuts out Death Day, which is nearly headless Nick's 500th Death Day celebration. So we have all of these foreign ghosts. We learn about the Headless Hunt. We see that there's kind of a hierarchy between the ghosts and we meet Moaning Myrtle. The movie also cut out the interaction where Harry and Headless Nick are talking to each other about the Headless Hunt and Nick invites him to the Death Day, which means we lose Filch coming out and demanding that Harry come into his office and finding out that Filch is a squib through these very sort of sad clues. And the movie kind of tries to cover that up by saying, well, Harry was not at dinner service because he was answering Lockhart's fan mail as part of his detention. And it works, but it just twists the story enough that it's not quite as good. And in the movie, one of the other very curious things is that Ron never explains why he doesn't get his broken wand replaced. There is very little information given to us about the Weasleys. We don't really have much to go on to suggest that they're broke. I believe Ron Ron mentions in the first book when he meets Harry that most of his stuff is secondhand, but you know, that could be because they have this huge family. It doesn't have to be because the Weasleys are broke. So to not explain that Ron is scared to tell his mom or that, you know, this or that reason is why Ron doesn't get a new wand, it, it comes off as very strange to say the least. And I realized that the movies also cut out the ghost professor Bins because McGarnagle is the one in the movie who tells the students about the Chamber of Secrets and what 
they know. Then when we do the Quidditch game with the runaway bludger, we never once see Fred or George in the movie trying to keep that bludger off of Harry. In the book, the Weasley twins actually get really upset that Wood won't call the game and forfeit it to save Harry's life. Like, they're very worried about him. And then the movie has another big dramatic Quidditch scene where Harry and Malfoy are both going crazy after the snitch. In the book, the snitch was like hovering right above Malfoy's head and Harry went for it, actually scared the bejesus out of Malfoy. And so he got to snicker at Malfoy a little bit for being kind of a chicken. Although who wouldn't be afraid if they saw someone flying right towards their head? Then in the book, the Weasley twins are noted as trying to force that rogue bludger ball back into the box. Whereas in the movie, Hermione actually blows the bludger up right after the match. The movie also does a really bad job with Colin Creevy and his camera once he gets petrified. In the book, it was very, very clear that the film was already melted and everything was smoking. As soon as they opened it, you could smell it. And, and so whatever took Colin out is what melted the camera insides. In the movie, it looks like Dumbledore opened the camera and because he did that wrong, it just went poof and destroyed the film. It, it didn't come across very well. Plus, the movie used a lot of smoke and there was no sign of melting. Then when they do the dueling club scene, the movie still uses the word Expelliarmus, but it just sort of sends that wizard flying backwards. It doesn't knock their wand out of their hand, which is what it does in the book. In the book, for some stupid reason, they also let all of the kids duel at the same time on their first try. So it turned into a big chaotic fight where everybody was at everybody's throat. But in the movie, they just pretty much skip to, okay, here's the tutorial with Snape and Lockhart. And now let's have Harry and Malfoy fight and boom, here's a snake. They got rid of all the fun little bits from the book where the boys were like making each other dance and doing all these kind of petty 12 year old things to each other. Also in the book, Ron and Harry want to duel together, but Snape is like, no, no, I'm breaking up the dream team. In the movie, Snape says that Ron can't go up because his wand is busted and being very unpredictable. The movie also removes that Snape is the one who tells Malfoy what the snake charm is to put that, what, black asp or something right in front of Harry. And Snape kind of did that as a way to show, well, ha ha ha, I guess I am superior to you, Potter. But in the movie, Malfoy already knows that spell and he just goes straight for it when he gets annoyed. Then when it's time to get the personal item they need for the Polyjuice Potion, Book Hermione had gotten a hair from Millicent Bolstrode, I think was her name. Didn't write it down again. But she had gotten that hair because they were paired off in the dueling club and when they got into it, Millicent's hair was left on Hermione's cloak. But movie Hermione is just like, yeah, I got this hair from Millicent and we never even get to actually see Millicent. Then with the Polyjuice Potion, in the movie, it does not change anybody's voices whereas it very clearly did in the book because Hermione was squeaking when she was first talking in the bathroom. And then movie Harry leaves his glasses on, whereas book Harry couldn't wear them anymore because he had the eyes of, what was it, Goyle? I think he turned into Goyle. I might be wrong on that point. But he had Goyle's eyes and Goyle apparently had 20-20 vision, so Harry could not wear his glasses. So the movie is definitely trying to keep us visually reminded that, oh, you know, this is Harry, definitely. Definitely Harry, definitely Harry, see the glasses? But again, it's another detail that doesn't really make sense when you think about it because the polyjuice potion should make you exactly like the person you're changing into. Also in the movie, I noticed that the robes that everyone was wearing changed.
changed based on who they were turning into. Like it was automatically a change, but their robes didn't change back to Gryffindor robes after they reverted back to their true selves. So that was another thing that didn't make sense in the movie. In the book, they made mention that they had to steal larger robes because Crab and Goyle were much bigger kids than Harry and Ron. And if they want to save that time by just, you know, okay, well, Polyjuice Potion changes your clothes too. That's fine. But then change them back once it wears off. That didn't make any sense. Then in the movie, the diary says on the back cover, Tom Marvolo Riddle. And Harry figures out the issue with the ink and writing in it right away. So they completely skip over all the things with the Valentine's Day grams from the book. The book has a lot more mystery to the diary and, and a lot more time taken to figure it out. Plus it does not say Tom Marvolo Riddle on it. It just says the name of like a little thrift store in town. So they figure, oh, well, the owner of this must have been like a half-blood, a muggle, something like that. And the movie just completely skips Tom Riddle's backstory, which I hated. And then when the diary gets stolen from Harry in the movie, it's implied that it was taken by not a student, which I, it doesn't make sense because it's Ginny Weasley that took it. She's not only a student, she's a Gryffindor. Again, the book handled this in a way that made a lot more sense. And once Hermione gets petrified in the movie, she is petrified alone. There is no Penelope. And even the Minister of Magic says three attacks when it's actually four attacks and a cat in the book. And this is another issue that neither the book or the movie addresses, but who was Hagrid waiting for with that crossbow? I mean, it obviously wasn't Ron and Harry, and it definitely wasn't Dumbledore and Cornelius Fudge, but he was waiting for something to come. And it never did. I'm so curious. Then when Dumbledore is basically being fired, he cuts out the whole loyalty bit from his exit speech, which I, it makes the ending of the movie even more confusing. So I don't know why they had some parts of that speech, but not the whole thing. It, it's weird. And in the movie, the boys find tons of spiders immediately that they start following right out of Hagrid's hut in the book they had to search around for days and then they only found two spiders that they had to very carefully follow. Then the movie has Harry using a lantern to follow the spider path instead of the illumination spell from the end of his wand. I can see why they made that change because they didn't really address that as much in the movie but the book definitely showed the kids learning that spell earlier on in the year. And when they meet Aragog he does not appear to be blind in the movie and his children they all seem to be like bicycle size or smaller, whereas in the book, the children were big enough to take Ron and Harry and carry them off. And the whole escape from Aragog and his family is a lot more dramatic in the movie. The car just shows up out of nowhere and takes the boys and takes off. But then the car also stops at the top of the hill and kicks the boys out. In the book, they run into the car, get abducted, the car comes to save them, and then the car takes them to the end of the Forbidden Forest and kicks them out there. Like the car decides, I'm a wild thing now. I live here, which I don't know when it became sentient, but I love Kari. He might be my favorite character now. Also in the movie, the car really isn't driving itself when they're escaping the spiders. It is Ron driving the car, which again, it, it makes less sense as to whether or not the car is sentient or not. Oh, also the entire bit with the roosters is oddly cut from the movie, but then they left parts of it in. So the book has a point where 
Hagrid is talking about, well, something is killing his roosters. And he's he's carrying one around Hogwarts because he's trying to get somebody to help him, you know, fix the murder problem with the roosters. And then when the boys get the passage about the basilisk, it says that a rooster's crow is fatal to it. So, you know, that's why the roosters were being killed. But in the movie, Hagrid just burst into Dumbledore's office with a dead chicken in his hand. And we have no idea why. Even when movie Ron and Harry are reading about the basilisk, they remove the part about the rooster. So it's weird to even give Hagrid the rooster to begin with. Also in the movie, not one person accuses Lockhart of being a phony. And Hermione doesn't crush on Lockhart in the movie and there's no time taken to show how all of these middle-aged witches just adore him. And when Lockhart reveals that he's really a fraud, they don't use Expelliarmus on him to get his wand away. In the movie, Ron and Harry just kind of hold Lockhart up by wand point. It's a strange thing, you know, it it doesn't flow as well. And the Expelliarmus flinging the wand out of your hand doesn't seem like it would have taken that much extra time in the movie, so it's a strange cut to make. I also noticed in the movie that Myrtle has a generic robe with no house on it, and so does Tom Riddle. The movie also shows us that the pipes that take you into the Chamber of Secrets gateway, I guess, is uh, not very deep, and movie Ron ends up hitting Lockhart in the head with a rock. So assault much? I mean, how are these kids really not expelled by the way the movie shows them? And then in the movie, the chamber door is almost right there in front of them. There's a very different multi-snake design on the door rather than the two snakes with the gems and the eyes from the book. And when Harry meets Tom in the movie, his edges are not blurry. Like he's not hazy or frosted looking. Also in the movie, the basilisk is not shown to flood the bathroom. So how did the diary get on the floor for Harry to find? It's just one of those plot holes where so much is happening in the movie that it just flies right over your head and you don't really have time to think about it. But there's actually a lot of plot holes in these movies that I never realized before. Then movie Tom ends up saying something to the effect of how he doesn't want his filthy muggle father's name and there's no reason given for that hate. In the book, Tom's father took off on his mother before he was born because dad found out mom was a witch and then mom died in childbirth. So there was a real reason for that animosity from Tom Riddle, but it's it's just skipped right over in the movie. Then even though Dumbledore's exit speech in the movie excluded the bit about being loyal to him, it was something like, I shall never truly be gone as long as someone in Hogwarts is loyal to me. So it made it really strange when Harry, while in the Chamber of Secrets, starts talking about loyalty to Dumbledore and then Fox the Phoenix appears, but he doesn't sing like he does in the book. It was really a bad, annoying song, so I was looking forward to that. And then Godric Gryffindor's sword just appears in the sorting hat in the movie, and it makes absolutely no sense. I remember seeing the movie when it was new and thinking, that makes no sense. Where did that come from? Well, that's because of the other part that Dumbledore said about, well, there's always help at Hogwarts for people who ask for it, something like that. So Harry, in the book, puts on the hat and says, like, please help me, please help, please help, please help, and the sword falls out of it. I mean, the sorting hat is not psychic at all in the movie. It's very vocal, whereas in the book it is more psychic. So it just doesn't make any sense unless the movie thought that Harry asking for help would be weak, that it wouldn't play well to audiences. But I I just found that part so confusing. And in the movie, Harry's battle with the basilisk is a lot more clever and thought out somehow, and Harry's not fumbling. But when that fight 
fight's over and they all get back up to the surface, they go straight to Dumbledore's office for no explicable reason in the movie because they shouldn't even know that Dumbledore is back at that point. And there is no Mr. and Mrs. Weasley to collect Ginny, even though Ginny was missing. So I wonder, is Hogwarts just not telling the parents that these children are being abducted or petrified? And the movie also shows Ron and Harry reporting about the situation alone. There is no mention of how Ginny got the diary or her part that she played in everything. In the book, Ginny was getting possessed and she was killing the roosters and painting on the walls and doing all the stuff because Voldemort through the diary was taking control of her. And then the diary was becoming a real person because it was draining the life energy out of Ginny. Most of that is skipped right over in the movie. So it is so absolutely confusing. Then in the movie, this was one thing I actually thought that they did better. When Harry is trying to sneak to get Dobby set free, he hands Lucius Malfoy the book, Lucius hands the book to Dobby, and inside that book is a sock. In the actual Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets book, Harry puts his nasty sock on top of the book and Lucius Malfoy throws it and Dobby catches it. So Dobby is like, yes, super mega loophole. That is a part that actually made less sense in the book because that was such a stretch. You know, if the whole thing with the house elf is that they're a slave until their master gives them clothing, then all they have to do is wait for them to, you know, go to the bathroom and drop their pants. Like, oh, I caught it. I am free boy now. The book makes it into such a big loophole kind of issue. It's odd. And then in the movie, Dumbledore's like, the exams are canceled, but the exams had never once been mentioned before. They did come up several times in the book because the kids were kind of shocked that they were gonna have exams. Then the movie wraps up in the Great Hall and we see Hagrid come back from Azkaban where he had been sent. And for no explicable reason, everybody just starts cheering for Hagrid. Woo! Like most of these kids don't know who he is, right? And if they do, they're surely looking down on him for being not really a janitor, but what, the gamekeeper of Hogwarts? I mean, it's not a very high classy position. It's a level or two above a janitor. And we all know those kids do not respect Filch. And then, unlike the first movie, the second movie actually gives us a little end of credit scene and it shows a new book coming out called Who Am I? by Gilderoy Lockhart. And that's all we hear about his fate in the movie. In the book, he went to see Madame Pom free and then he had to go off and heal somewhere but I still had the question of well hey isn't he gonna come back for Harry and Ron once he gets his memories back but the book definitely makes it seem like Lockhart will get his memories back whereas the movie is just like I guess he's messed up forever now. Those are my notes for the differences between the book and movie of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Again if you've been having fun with me here don't forget to head over to the family channel and check out there I read it where I'm going over all all of the Harry Potter books slowly, but chapter by chapter with a new episode each week coming out. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to subscribe, share, comment, anything you want to do. I appreciate it. And I might be overthinking it, but that's literally my job. By one point, it, it's a strange thing, you know, it, it doesn't... Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's 
really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video, we should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See ya next time, family members. Bye.